This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Today, Psalms 51 is known as a Psalms of Repentance. So if you don't have your Bible with you, um, let one of the ushers get a Bible in your hand. So just raise your hand real quick. Let us get a Bible in your hand. But if you do have your Bibles, please turn to Psalms 51. Or if you have an app on your phone, turn to Psalms 51. And if you don't, here's what I'm asking. When you came in, I, I, I printed these off this week so that all of us could have this and maybe use it as a bookmark. But this has all of Psalms 51. If you didn't get one as you came in, um, make sure you get one on the way out. We're going to use these at the end. But this is Psalms 51. Psalms 51 is what we're going to be uh, covering today. And as we're covering Psalms 51, I'm once again struck as I'm studying for this and, and meditating on this, I'm struck by how much the church needs to hear, not just the church in the world, but this church needs to hear and meditate on Psalms 51. So this is once again God's providence that we would land on such a powerful text. As we're going through this sermon series, let me remind you of the four things we're asking from us as a church as we enter in, or the three or four things we're asking. First is remember that this psalm series is all about formation and not information. So if you walk out of here today and what you get from this is that, man, that was good information, you mi- we missed it. We missed the whole point of this. That this psalm series is pushing us into being formed by God's word and not just being informed by it. So we're asking that as we dive into psalms that we would, as Dallas Willard says, when you bury yourself in the psalms, you emerge knowing God and understanding life. So we're asking people to bury themselves in the psalms. Not just study this. But bury yourself in it. And what will take place when you bury yourself in it is that you will emerge knowing God and knowing who you are. The third thing is, we're asking us to enter into the psalm. Our habit, as Eugene Peterson says, is to talk about God rather than talk to God. That's our habit. We're far more comfortable sitting in circles or sitting in rooms like this and say, let's talk about God rather than talking to Him. And so what this this series is going to force us to do is to say, let's talk to God together. Let's talk to Him. Let's not talk about Him like He's not in the room. Let's talk to Him. And as we're entering into the Psalms, let's remember that we're entering in, not just alone, but we're entering in with all the saints. All the saints are entering into this together. And that not just the saints in this room, but the saints throughout history have been praying the Psalms together for centuries. So you're entering in with all the saints, past, present, future who sing the psalms together. 
So let's be formed by this. Let's enter into it. Let's bury ourselves in it. So today, we're not going to just talk about repentance. We're going to be called to repentance. Repentance is a... um, it's, it seems to become a, a cuss word in the church as of late because you, you rarely go to churches that talk about sin and repentance anymore, especially on TV. If you ever turn the TV on, I can't, I would much rather watch something that isn't church related on TV because I end up far more uh, discouraged after I watch something from church TV than I do if I just laugh at some sitcom or something, right? Most of my discouragement comes from how much of a show church has become. And rarely do we ever deal with the actual sin issue that's being dealt. Matter of fact, there's many popular um, pastors who all of us would know, who say things like, I never deal with sin, I'm just here to encourage. And the problem with that is, is that sin is running rampant all throughout society, all throughout the human race. It's destroying everything around us, and then we walk in and act like we shouldn't deal with what's really happening in our world. It's a show. Plus, if we're honest, we tire of being told that we're sinful. We tire of being told that we have sinful hearts and that we're broken. Oh, we hear messages like, blessed are the the broken, you know, and and blessed are the humble, and blessed are those who are are weak and merciful. We hear those, but we don't want to be that. We don't want to be broken and humble. We want to be strong and perfect. How often do we find ourselves complaining about our continually dealing with this same sin that's in our lives over and over again? Like, I should be over this now. Why should you be over this now? Well, I should be better than this. I should be perfect. I should have my stuff together. We continue to believe That what this thing is all about is us being perfect. Repentance has become a cuss word to us. Not only is it something we don't personally want to deal with, we act like uh, everybody else sins but us. That's the reality. I mean, listen, you literally have to have your head buried in the sand to not look around at all the things that are happening in the world and the church and not go, man, there's some stupid stuff happening out there or over there. Listen, I am the king of trolling Facebook and seeing uh, all the stupidity out there or the sin. 
So I'm not pointing at y'all and saying, hey, you shouldn't see the sin that's around there. Matter of fact, I really do believe that you should, with eyes wide open, see the reality of sin and how it's destroying the world. Here's an interesting thing. I was reading this article uh, and talking to some pastor friends. The verse that was most quoted uh, 20 years ago was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That was the, the verse that everybody knew and quoted. That was the one. Nowadays, The verse most quoted, at least according to stats, is this. Judge not lest you be judged. We've moved from love God and love your neighbor to judge not unless you be judged. And we really believe in the culture that we live in that tolerance and non-judgment is the highest form of spirituality. And so we believe that it is sinful to look out at other people and to judge whether they're sinning or not. Which means we don't read scripture very often. And we take one line from one scripture and we say, judge not lest you be judged. Which doesn't mean you shouldn't see and judge whether somebody's sinning or not. Let's read a couple of these scriptures because I want them to be up on the screen. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. You've probably heard this. Judge not that you, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You're like, see, pastor, I knew it. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? And I wanted this verse up on the screen that says this, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not saying, don't care about the speck in your brother's eye. He's saying, you're overlooking the log in your eye to try to deal with the speck in somebody else's eye. But he's saying, if you can deal with the log in your eye, the end result is you will see more clearly and be more helpful in dealing with your brother's sin. Listen, when you deal with your own sin in your life, it makes you far more clear about helping and dealing with the sin in others. He's not saying when you take the log out, you won't see the speck. He's saying, stop overlooking the log to deal with the speck. Galatians 6, 1 through 5 says this real clearly. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, here's what a spiritual person is, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own works. Then this reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in the neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Listen to what is being said here. Those who are spiritual are those who are capable capable of dealing with other people's sins and here's the reason why because they are gentle and they are watching themselves because they know they could fall into any sin immediately here's when someone 
refuses to judge and see the sins in other people, it's not just that you are not judgmental, it's that you are unhelpful. Many of you are overlooking other people's sin in the spirit of not being judgmental. But here's the actual truth. When you see other people's sins and you refuse to deal with it, the reason you're refusing to deal with it is so that you won't be judgmental and you won't have to deal with your own sin. When you walk by your brother who is caught in sin and you refuse to help them, it means that you are not spiritual. Church, Scripture is built on this loving God and loving others, but it's not built on this hypocrisy that looks at others and sees their sin so clearly but refuses to see your own. I believe that this refusal to deal with the sin in the world is a refusal to deal with our own sin. That's what I believe. The reason why we are not helping in the societal sins that are taking place and the sins that are happening, the reason why we are so disconnected is because we try to make this non-judgmental attitude sound so spiritual when the reality is it's unspiritual and ungodly. Judgment is not ungodly. Judgment is not ungodly. Here's what, it, here's what it is. Hypocritical judgment. That's ungodly. Because what our brothers need, according to Galatians and according to Matthew and according to all of Scripture, what our brothers need is a people who are so aware of their own sin that they're heartbroken when they see it in others. That's what they need. So I'm not asking us to not see the stupidity and sin and brokenness in others, in the church, in the world. I'm not asking for that. Here's what I am asking for. I'm so quick and so easy and it's so clear to me when I look out in the world and I see all the struggles and the problems there. I'm like, man, this is sin. I could could spot it. I'm like a hound dog for it. It weighs on me. It's heavy on me. But for some reason, when my wife wants to point out sin in me, I don't take it very well. I don't take it well at all. Matter of fact, I sound a lot like the people that I get to pastor you. That when I see sin in you and I point it out, how quickly you all are to say you didn't say it in the right tone (laughs) i find myself using that same line with my wife like we could care less that we sinned and are hurting other people we just want you to say it in the right tone we are far more angry about how you said it than that i did it I start sounding like 
a lot of you all where I come pastorally and just say, you are destroying your family. You're destroying your life. Look at all of the brokenness in you. And I quickly start to hear people saying, yeah, but they do worse than me. Like our biggest comfort is this, that I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Like because I know how much Dana sins, when she points out mine, I could show, hey, we're even here. Because the reality of dealing with somebody else's sin doesn't mean you're better than them. It means you love them. Here is how I know that sin has become far more uh, undealt with and left in the darkness where it likes to stay is because there are so many people who would hear about somebody who goes to a church or whatever, who is confronted by sin by their brothers, and then a whole group of people would get so angry that there would actually be pastors and leaders and people around them that would care about them enough to confront them. How dare they confront you in, their, in your sin? It has become a sin to confront sin. Church, not only has repentance become a cuss word, repentance and calling people to repentance has become something that you need to repent of. We're all mixed up, guys. We're starting to look like and sound like, if you will, David. If you know the story of David, and I don't have much time to go there today because we only have a few minutes, but if you know the story of David, he cheated on, I mean, he, he, he took a Bathsheba, they slept together, she gets pregnant, he kills her husband, there's a long story there. He's the king of this nation, and Samuel comes to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and he tells this story of a guy who has a sheep in his, in his town. They went and stole the only sheep. He has hundreds of sheep, but he went and stole the only sheep from this poor little farmer and David unravels. He wigs out like, tell me who it is and I'm going to go kill them. Samuel in just such wisdom and filled with the Spirit says, okay, I'll tell you who he is. In verse 7, he says, you are that man. Isn't it amazing how quickly David became angry at other people's sin, but was so quick to overlook his own? You are that man. And what ends up happening when he is confronted with that sin, here's what ends up taking place. David repents. This is where Psalms 51 is, and let's quickly, if you can, let's stand together, and I'm going to read this out loud, and we're going to spend time here in about 10 minutes just um, repenting. 
But let's stand together. And as we stand, remember, this is God's word. Listen to his prayer of repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in my inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be cleansed. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of salvation and uphold me with willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from guilt of bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up walls of Jerusalem. This is God's word. You may be seated. Church, I'm dealing with about five minutes here. I can't go through all of this, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I wrote out four things that I've been meditating on as I've studied this, and the reason why I wanted you to take this home is because I want you to meditate on this this week. And write down the things that God's speaking to you. First is this. The thing that I noticed big time is that repentance is owning your sin. It's owning it. If you were to look at what David did there in this prayer, he didn't make an excuse. He didn't try to explain it away. He didn't turn on, if you will, Samuel and say, man, uh, or Nathan, who confronted him, he didn't turn on him and say, hey, you know what? Nathan didn't say it in the right way. He wasn't being very nice. He didn't talk about how it embarrassed him that he was, he didn't talk about all of the things that he could have. He didn't try to make excuses. He owned it. And he said, I, from birth, was conceived in this. By nature, I'm a sinner, but also by choice that I've continued to choose to sin. Repentance is owning the fact that you are sinful. The second thing that we see is that he, repentance is recognizing that your sin is primarily against God. So often, we will not 
even acknowledge that we did something wrong until we see that it's destroying our lives or it's destroying other people's lives. For example, I had somebody come to me and say, Pastor, can you pray that I will not go to prison? I said, why? Well, I did all these things and he starts listing all these things and I go to court and I don't want to go to prison. So can you pray that I will not go to prison? And I said, no. I won't pray for that. But what I will pray for is that you will be broken for the things that you've done. And we laugh at this, except for this is most of the time that we do pray. God, if you will, I know that I've messed up my marriage. I know that all these things are broken there, but could you just fix my marriage? Never dealing with the fact that primarily the reason why our marriages are falling apart is because we're sinning against God. We're rebelling against Him. God, could you pay these bills and take me out of my debt? And we're asking Him to pay our bills and take us out of our debt, never repenting of unwise stewardship and our sin against God, that we're taking money and using it for our own selfish gain. We are so quick to notice how our sin or decisions have broken things, and we believe God's responsibility is to come and fix those things. But what David does here in his repentance is realizing against you and you alone have I sinned, with no mention of what he did to Bathsheba, of what he did to others. Why? Because when you recognize that your sin is primarily against God, you'll deal with it much sooner then when you start seeing the effects of the brokenness, many of us wait until everything's already falling apart before we ever recognize that we are sinning against God. Right now, we're praying for racial reconciliation in our world. We're asking God to fix what our sin has created. We're saying fix this problem rather than Deal with the racism that is in us. And against you alone have I sinned. We're wanting him to fix the effects of our sin rather than recognizing that our sin is against him. I wish I could spend more time on that, but notice what he does here. He recognizes his sin. He recognizes who it's against. And then the third thing that I noticed is this, his repentance Repentance is asking God to do a work of salvation and restoration. Have mercy on me, O God, according to what? According to who you are, not according to who I am. Give me mercy not because I deserve it, but give me mercy because you're good. He asked him to do things that I think we should learn to ask for in repentance. Have mercy on me, blot out my transgressions, wash me, cleanse me, purge me, make me, create in me, renew in me. I was convinced that as I was studying this, the thing that continued to just wrench into me is how often I ask for things that are more about what I want rather than being right before God. 
have mercy on me, blot out, wash me, cleanse me, purge me, make me, cleanse me, renew in me. I thought as I was reading this, what would modern repentance sound like? It sounds more like this. I promise God that I will never do it again. I'm so stupid. But can you fix these problems? Because I messed it up really bad. If you get me out of this, I promise I will never do it again, God. And please, please don't let anybody find out. That's our repentance. Rather than expose me, cleanse me, have mercy on me, purge me, make me, create in me a clean heart. We could care less about being clean and pure and right and, and, and cleansed. And what we really care about is him fixing it and not letting anybody find out. Our repentance sounds much more like a false view of the gospel than it does about people who believe and understand the gospel. The gospel story draws us to true repentance. And I'm going to end with this. And so I misjudged my own time, but we're, you don't need to hear me talk. We just need to repent. Look at verse 10, 11, and verse 12 and 13. And we're going to end with this. Created me a clean heart. That word create is the very same word that you see used in Genesis chapter 1. There's two words that are used for creation, but this word is the same word where he takes something out of nothing and makes it. Void and empty like the, worth, like, the world, like the world was. Empty, dark, and void, and God creates something new. David asks God to do what only he could do by rooting it in the gospel story, knowing that God is the creator, only you can make my heart new. Create in me. So he starts with creation. And then in verse 11, he goes into the fall. So if you know what we talk about with the gospel story, creation, fall. The fall says, cast me not away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me because at the fall, they left his presence. They were separated from him. What he's asking for is because of the effects of sin, the primary, the primary effect of sin is that we are separated from God. And what he's saying is, I don't want to be away from you. Then what does he ask in verse 12? Well, what Christ had done on the cross, restore unto me the joy of salvation. What happens at the cross is that Christ comes and renews and saves and only through God's grace or mercy can we receive this. So when we ask, what we're asking in line with the story is this. Only you can make me new. Only you can who's created all things. Don't take me from your presence. I know that I've sinned, but don't take me from your presence. And then he goes to this idea of restoration. Restore unto me the joy of what? Salvation. What we need is salvation. the band comes what I'm asking us to do today is pray in line with the gospel because what ends up happening when people repent well, well verse 13 says it 
God uses broken and repentant people to declare to the transgressors, to the world, his salvation. I love that line. After he repents, he says, now, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Here's, here's the very beauty of what happens when you repent first. Those who are transgressors and far from God will see your repentance and will be drawn to salvation. So you remember when we were talking about, I just got to be perfect and I got to have everything together so everybody will be attracted to God. And here's the reality of it. Your perfection and your hiding of your sin is not drawing people to Christ. But it's your very brokenness and repentance that calls those who are far from him to close, close to him. So your sin and your brokenness becomes a teacher to transgressors. Why is this important to me right now? Because I think we can look out in the world and see transgressors and, and we're going, they need to repent. Why are they not repenting? I don't think they see it modeled in the church. I, see that they, I, say that I, see, I think they see a church who's hiding their sin, justifying their sin, has no brokenness for the things around them, and they're not seeing a broken people who are in desperate need of salvation, who are modeling repentance. Here's what we're going to do today. We have two, two women in this church who have meditated on this all week and asked them to come. They're going to read their meditations and then we're going to sing a song and then we're going to come up and just meditate on our own and repent and take communion. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.